Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. It's just an exciting time of year, and I feel like this has been a great year. You know, it gave me a word that in 2022 we would prevail. We would prevail. And I feel the prevailing powers of the Holy Ghost with us here tonight. And I want to not so much teach and preach about prevailing, but more so just about how amazing our God is and what he is doing in the end time. Tonight's subject is greater is in me. Greater is in me. Reading to you from 1 John chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6 from the New King James. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. Greater is in me, greater is in you, and greater is in us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, amen, for this time that we have together. And I ask you, Lord, amen, that we would be reminded tonight by your spirit just how great you really are. And you're not great from afar, but you are great from within us. And I pray that your greatness would uh, swell up. I pray that it would be magnified and intensified inside of us, for we need it in this day and this hour. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. This week we'll begin the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. And years back, we've taught some extensive material about the Feast of the Lord. We won't go too much into detail about that, but just to kind of refresh your memory, In the law, the law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, the Lord outlines seven feasts. Not so much for Israel, not much for that generation, but God calls them my feasts, my seven feasts. And that is Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And I like it that it's not the seven fasts, but the seven feasts of the Lord, right? 
But um, they're powerful. They're powerful. Now, we don't really celebrate them to this day as God commanded Old Testament Israel, not as they did, but we do celebrate them in a way. And it's revealed to us in the book of Colossians about these feasts. The apostle says, don't let anybody judge you or force you to celebrate those feasts. You can, if you want, you have that liberty to or the liberty not to. He said the substance is of Christ. Meaning, if you have Jesus, you have the Passover. If you have Jesus, you have unleavened bread. If you have Jesus, you have first fruits. If you have Jesus, you have Pentecost. If you have Jesus, you have trumpets. If you have Jesus, you have atonement, you have tabernacles, you have all of them. If you have Jesus, you have Sabbath. Amen. You don't have to worship on the seventh day. You can worship any day and every day. Amen. Normally we gather here on Sunday mornings. We could gather here on Monday nights at 11 p.m. And then God would still move, praise the Lord. Amen. Every day is God's day, including Halloween, praise the Lord. It's still God's day. It doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean we don't read about the feast, we don't study the feast, there's a lot to learn from them. I believe that Jesus is going to uh, fulfill the fall feasts sometime in the future. At his first coming, he fulfilled the Passover by dying on a cross. He fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread by being wrapped up in linen like they would wrap their bread. And he was buried in the tomb on unleavened bread. And then he got up the first day of the week on the Feast of First Fruits. You then count 50 days, and he sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost. He has fulfilled four of the seven feasts. He has not yet fulfilled the Feast of Trumpets. He has not fulfilled yet the Day of Atonement. And he has not fulfilled the Day of Tabernacles. Now, when it comes to Bible prophecy, I don't care if you're able to interpret every scripture about Bible prophecy perfect perfect and accurately. Even if you could, you still only know maybe 1% of what God is going to do. Because we don't know everything that God is going to do. But from what we know, we teach and preach it. And ultimately, the goal of Bible prophecy is so that we can all be ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen? Because Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And included in that, what would it profit a man if he knows all of the Bible prophecy and lost his own soul? (laughs) So that's what Bible prophecy is about. That's what all of these signs are for, to motivate you to be saved, to stay saved, and join the Lord in heaven. Amen. And so we try to address Bible prophecy on Wednesday nights around these fall feasts. Uh, The Feast of Trumpets is coming up this week, and so we're going to talk about some things uh, that relate to Bible prophecy. And uh, the, the world can seem large, the darkness of this world can seem like it can overcome you. But understand this, no matter how great the sin of this world and the greatness and the darkness of this world gets, greater is he who is in you than he who is in that world. Never forget that. Mikhail Gorbachev, former Russian dictator, although I didn't realize it because it kind of happened before my time, but later on in life he was eating pizzas on TV commercials and endorsing uh, you know, capitalism and things like that. So I think he ended up doing good there at the end. I, I don't get into all of that. But I remember when Mikhail Gorbachev passed away not too long ago, it was like nobody was talking about it. No preacher was preaching about it. No Bible prophecy teacher was talking about it at all. And if some of you, some of you older saints, remember back in the 80s, early 90s, a lot of Bible prophecy teachers were saying that Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. You know, he had that natural mark on his forehead. My God, it's the mark of the beast, you know. 
and all of the things that he uh, was threatening against the world. You know, that's got to be the Antichrist. He's controlling this world, and, you know, that big Russian bear is going to rise up and, and take over <laughs> everything. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I am being funny. And uh, a lot of, you know, the Pope at that time said, Mikhail Gorbachev is a man of iron teeth. Well, the beast that arises out of the sea has iron teeth, so Mikhail Gorbachev must be the Antichrist. And there were Bible prophecy teachers that preached that and got a lot of great camp meetings out of that and sold a lot of books about all of that. Well, he died, and he was not the Antichrist. But who knows? Maybe uh, here in about 20 or 30 years, maybe they'll invent some kind of science where they could dig up a a body and take some DNA and, and make a clone out of it, and maybe uh, that'll be Mikhail Gorbachev arising out of the sea and he could be the Antichrist. It is possible. I'm just saying that. A lot of possibilities out there. I don't know. But I didn't get any phone calls about that. Normally I get texts and get emails, requests from things that we preach here, from the podcast, guest ministry, other things that we do about uh, Bible prophecy. Not one person asked me about Mikhail Gorbachev. But when Queen Elizabeth... God save the queen. God rest her precious soul. When she passed away, I had more phone calls and texts than I knew what to do with about Bible prophecy. And I wasn't expecting that. I had no idea that Queen Elizabeth II had anything to do with Bible prophecy, but apparently everybody thinks it's the beginning of the tribulation right now that Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And I don't really understand all of that. But I got to doing some digging and got to doing some research. Queen Elizabeth II is not in the Bible. (laughs) So, she's in a lot of great magazines and a lot of good TV shows that I'm sure you're watching, the royal family and all of that. But the idea around it is, is because Queen Elizabeth was a force of good, a nationalist, was not for globalism, uh, was a, a, a force of righteousness and kept the family together to be a model family and things like that. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are into it. Some of you don't like British royalty. You view them as a family that's living off the largesse of their ancestors. And, you know, there's been a lot of hate towards Prince Charles and all of that. A man who some have said is, is, is good for nothing. All he's ever done is paint paintings and fall off polo horses and lose his girlfriends and things like that. I, I need to quit trying to be so funny. We need to get back to the word of God here. But <laughs> I'm in a good mood. But... um. Some are saying that this new king has the potential to really begin to, because of things he said in the past, really preach a message of globalism and collectivism and erase a lot of the local and national powers and set up a great empire to control the world and to take money from rich nations and give it to the poor nations and create a beautiful paradise in the world. A lot of flattery, a lot of great swelling words, a lot of great promises and things like that. And so you can understand why some people are concerned about that. I don't know. We will have to wait and see. But our Bible teaches us to be watchful in the end of days. Pray and watch. I worry about people that say, I don't want to study Bible prophecy. It'll just all pan out and I don't have to worry about it. Oh, my friend. You're not doing what the Lord commanded us to do. He said, watch. Keep your eyes on this world. Know what is being moved. Know what it is being eliminated. Know what's being set up. Because these things that happen in the world, the trouble that's upon this world, is an opportunity for us to draw nigh unto the Lord and to get closer to him. Amen. COVID-19 did that for a lot of us, praise the Lord. 
Uh, the war that broke out between Russia and Ukraine did a lot of that for us. Amen. We didn't look at it and say, oh, no, there is no God. But we looked at COVID-19 and, and the crisis and the chaos and the wars and things like that. And many of us looked up and realized that these are signs that our redemption is drawing nigh. Praise the Lord. The apostle, 1 John, speaks to the church and to us here today and reminds us that the Antichrist, the man, the Antichrist, is not alive, but the spirit of Antichrist is alive. It is a high-ranking evil spirit, and its job, its sole purpose is to be Antichrist. Let me hear you say Antichrist. Antichrist. It's everything against Jesus. It's a spirit that its sole purpose is to deceive the world and eliminate the Lord Jesus Christ from this earth and to set itself up to become and to have and to accomplish what Jesus Christ has done. Some say that Satan and Antichrist are the same person. I personally believe that they are two different spirits, but both working together to fulfill the plan of Satan in the end time. Essentially, I believe Satan himself wants to fulfill God's plan for himself. Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh. He is the man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He was sent here to lead a heavenly kingdom. And one day to bring this kingdom to this earth and to conquer and to rule. That's what Jesus Christ is going to do. What is happening is Satan, the Antichrist, is trying everything that he can do to fulfill that through himself. Fulfill that through himself. Satan is not creative. He's a counterfeit. He's trying to steal every idea that God has ever come up with for himself. And he's only going to get it for a little bit. And Jesus is going to come down on a white horse and destroy it all. Praise God. The Antichrist did his opposition to Christ and trying to become Christ itself and to replace it. That is what the Antichrist will do with one man. The Spirit has tried to do this throughout the course of history. A lot of the history, you can read about it in your own Bible. You read about Nimrod in Genesis, a mighty man who built great cities, including Babel. I believe that the Spirit of Antichrist wanted to get inside of him to control the world. And he almost did, but he was brought to nothing. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sought to conquer the world, was brought to nothing. Nebuchadnezzar, a great world leader out of Babylon, arose... I believe Antichrist tried to arise through him to conquer and to rule the world with an eternal kingdom, but Nebuchadnezzar was brought down. Xerxes, the Persian king, also brought down. Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great, the western king of Greece, conquered so much swiftly and quickly, but he was brought down. You then look at the Caesars, such as Domitian of Rome, who uh, set himself up to be a god and wanted to be worshipped by mankind. He was brought down. Recently in our own time, Adolf Hitler, I believe that Antichrist got into him. And he tried to rule the world through his Nazi empire. I read some very interesting history about Hitler a few years ago. History says that when he was in his teenage years, he was a drug user, would get high on opium, and oftentimes liked to go to the Austrian Museum. And he was particularly interested in a piece of antiquity there, and it was called the Spear of Destiny. And the theory behind it, and it's still there in a museum to this day, the Spear of Destiny, it is said to be the same spear 
that the Caesars had on their throne. And with that, with that spear, they conquered the world. And according to history, they said Hitler would come in high on opium and would sit in front of that spear and meditate and think about conquering the world. He opened himself up, up, up to that, and he almost did it. The spirit of Antichrist has tried to rule the world through many men throughout history. I believe that Satan himself tried this very thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He tempts him in the wilderness, and what does he tempt him with? He says, I will offer you all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I can give you Syria, I can give you Mesopotamia, I could give you Parthenia, Armenia, Asia, Britannia, Gallia, Hispania, all of the great empires of that time. He tried and he failed. Jesus resisted because why take something that is lesser than what God Almighty was going to give him? Why only have five great kingdoms when the Lord Jesus Christ could have the world one day? Amen. A government that has no end that will rest upon his shoulders forever. Praise the Lord. But one of these days, Antichrist is going to deceive and win through one man. And you can read about it in the book of Revelation. He rises like a great dragon. And this dragon, the Antichrist, gives the beast power, a seat, and great authority to rule the world. To this day, I've never made a prediction on who the Antichrist is. I don't have my own Mikhail Gorbachev. I don't have my own Hitler. I've never done that. But I do have attributes about the Antichrist that I want to give us tonight so that we are not ignorant, but rather watchful. Because the spirit is already at work. And not only does it want to control this world, but it wants to control your mind. It wants to control the mind of your spouse, the mind of your home. It wants to destroy you and send you to hell. We've got to be watchful. God forbid that we buy into the lie from Satan that it's just okay and God will never judge. Oh, my friend, if you think God is not judgeful and vengeful, read your Bible. Within the first six chapters, God floods and destroys the world. And thank the Lord for a space of grace and a space of mercy that we have and we ought to take advantage of. You can read about the Antichrist in various places throughout your Bible. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down Daniel chapter 11 and Revelation chapter 13. Daniel 11 and Revelation chapter number 13. It describes in details attributes and characteristics about the Antichrist and what his kingdom will look like, and what the world will do, and what will happen, and what will be set up. Because it's going to take a while for it to be set in place, but when it is, it will happen suddenly. You read about a mingling of kingdoms throughout the book of Daniel and throughout Revelation. It's one of the great signs that Antichrist is about to arise when you begin to see kingdoms mingling. For a long time in my Bible prophecy teachings, I taught that it's going to be one world, one world government. Borders are going to be erased, states are going to be erased, and all of that is going to be brought under one great king. I have since then changed my theology on that, and I don't really believe in one world government anymore, but rather I believe in one coalition of nations. One coalition of nations, and we might talk about that 
in the next uh, several Wednesday nights. But what I believe is happening right before our very eyes, we're seeing it. It's been going on a long time. It is the intermingling of nations. Daniel, or rather King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. Daniel also saw the same dream, and he saw a great image, a man-made image of a man that represented kingdoms such as Babylon's, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. And at the very bottom of that image was two feet, and it says these feet were mixed with iron and clay. Two feet and ten toes, iron and clay. Let me hear you say the word mingled. Mingled. In the Hebrew, that word is Arab or Arab. It says that the iron will Arab. It will become mingled. And you see that iron and clay mingling together or trying to at least. You then see in Revelation chapter number 13, a beast comes out of the sea. And then another beast comes out of the earth. And these two beasts unite. You then read in Revelation chapter number 17, there is a scarlet beast, and sitting on top of her is a harlot partnered up with her. So you have feet mingled with iron and clay, a beast out of the sea, a beast out of the earth partnering together. You then have a great beast, a scarlet-colored beast, and a woman partnering together. And you see this in various places throughout Bible prophecy that evil begins to unite in the latter days. They began to unite. Nations who used to be at war with each other began to unite. You think about this. The West and the East used to never get along. You had the Crusaders fighting militant Islam over territory, over land, constantly back and forth. There was no immigration. There was no assimilation. There was war, great enmity between the West and the East. But something has changed Really, since about the 1960s, a lot of that has changed. Yes, there is still war, but what are we seeing? I know it's not being reported now, but it's still going on. About four or five years ago, there was a lot of reporting about it. You are seeing Eastern nations mingling with Western nations, and Western nations mingling with Eastern nations. There's not a whole lot of war anymore. Somebody told me the other day they went and visited Paris. They said Paris no longer looks like Paris in much of the city. It looks like a Middle Eastern city. That is because of what Bible prophecy said. The East will begin to mingle with the West. Bible prophecy that you read about in your Bible, it is happening right before our very eyes. But Bible prophecy says even though there will be a mingling and a coalition of nations, it will not last. It rather will turn on itself. Daniel prophesied iron cannot mingle with clay. They will turn on each other. You read later on the beast and the beast that comes out of the land, they separate. You then read about the scarlet colored beast and the harlot. That beast turns and devours her. So we're seeing right now an intermingling of Western and Eastern culture, but the Bible specifically tells us that before the time of the Antichrist to arise, there is going to be a great shaking between the East and the West, and it will break apart. And what I think is going to happen here is, in order for there to be one man to arise, other kingdoms have to fall. In order for one great power to arise with answers, something has to fall. And what greater way to do that than wars and rumors of wars 
and famines and earthquakes and pestilences and all of those horrible things. Whenever the west and the east begin to break apart and to shatter, and what Isaiah describes as the weakening of nations, that is when one man is going to rise and say, I have the answers to rebuild. I have the answers to go forward. Follow me, nations. Give me your allegiance, and I will never let you down. That's what he's going to do. At the right moment, at the right opportunity, at the weakening of nations, he is going to arise with power. It's happening right before your very eyes. The west and the east are mingling. You read about it in Daniel chapter 11. describes more and more of what this Antichrist, this great man, will do. It says in Daniel that he will magnify himself. He will declare himself to be a god, a great god in the earth, and he will look like God. He will have many signs and wonders. He will do many miraculous things before the eyes of everyone to look like God. It says he will have no desire of women. He will be a homosexual, no desire for women. It says that he will exalt only one God, not the God of his fathers, but a God of fortresses. You think about this. What religion out there is militant? I can really only think of one religion out there that is militant, and it is militant Islam. Notice I didn't say Islam. We're not at war with Islam, and thank God, because they got a lot of great restaurants not too far of here. Best hummus you've ever had in your life, and I am certainly not at war with that. I like that. But they're delightful people. You probably work with some of them and neighbors with some of them. They've come here to be good Americans. They've come here to work in peace and, and raise a family, and, and, and they're great to be around. I'm talking about militant Islam who want to arise and conquer the world for Allah. I believe that Antichrist will honor a god of fortresses in their place, meaning he will go into probably Mecca and honor their god in their place and have a coalition of powers and nations together with them to conquer the world. So that's how he's described in Daniel chapter 11. Antichrist will be homosexual and very, very violent. You think about this term, antichrist. Antichrist, that's the spirits that's arising in the earth. It's not anti-Islam. It's not anti-LGBTQ. But it's antichrist. And the spirit of antichrist is merging together two great powers to fight Christ. And that is through a militant false god and also a culture of perversion. And merging those two together is how he is going to begin to weaken the nations. Everybody say right. (laughs) Right. Some of you, I feel like the light bulbs are going off and hearing things you've never heard before. And some of you, it's been a while since you've heard this and it's refreshing your memory. I want to go deeper. Revelation chapter number 13, when the beast arises out of the sea, it says the world worships him, and he performs great signs and wonders and speaks loud, swelling words. He will arise as his own religious power. He's then described to John as who can make war with him. Not only will he arise like a god on the earth, but he will arise like a military general like nobody has ever seen. Nobody can make war with him. Nobody can conquer him. It says that he is given authority over every tribe, tongue, 
and nation, a globalist power, a coalition of peoples and nations. He will control every governing body. It then says about him, no man can buy or sell without his mark. Food and water will have to be rationed, maybe because of nuclear war. I don't know. But those are the four main powers that he arises. Normally you see four different individuals that arise together, a religious leader, a military leader, a governmental and economic leader. But this one man bears all four of these within himself, a religious power, a militant power, a governmental power, an economic power. You know what the Antichrist is trying to do? Be the Lord Jesus Christ and deceive many by saying that Jesus was never real. He never loved. He never cared. But look at me. I'm the religion that you need. I'm the military power that you need. I'm the governing power that you need. I'm the economic power that you need. This is why as a church, we preach the power of the Holy Ghost, but not only that, we do things just in our natural world, in our natural life, to combat this spirit. We believe in patriotism. We believe in our nation. And to have a nation, to be a patriot, not only here for the United States, but every other nation in the world, you've got to have borders, you've got to have language, and you've got to have your own culture. Borders, a language, and a culture. That's why we preach that, we teach that, we celebrate it, not every Sunday, but here and there. But in having that, you are creating a barrier in your own home to combat Antichrist. Antichrist is going to definitely be anti-family. It ain't about husband and wife marrying and staying married and having kids. Oh, no. It will be broken apart. When you have a family, a solid home of love and care and God is there, you are fighting this spirit. Family, that's why we stress it. It's not just to look good. It's not just to sound good. It's not just to look like a a precious moment's family. But the family is a source of power in the earth to combat Antichrist. One of your greatest weapons of spiritual warfare is to have a unified house and a unified family built on the foundation of the word of God. And when you have that, Antichrist can't get to your kids. Praise the name of the Lord. We love our nation. We love our family, and then, of course, we love our spirituality, the Holy Ghost, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love your nation, love your country, love your family, and love your God. Live for it, walk with it, put it into your life, impart it unto your children, and Antichrist will never be able to take you down. Can you say amen? But With all of these things happening in the earth, some of you see it. You feel it. You know it. Just like the spirit of Antichrist in that first generation of the church that was there moving through the Roman Empire and through the Caesars and all of the nations round about, that spirit hasn't been cast down into hell, not yet. It is around us right now. Coming back to the Queen, I've never been to London. I know some of you have. I'd like to go there someday. But I've read about it, I've Googled it, there's some debates about it. But right now here in our day and time, what city 
rules the world? What city controls the world? What city has the greatest of all influence? And I searched it this afternoon. It's not Los Angeles. It is not New York City. It's not Kansas City. Oh. You know what city it is? London. It's a city that actually sits on seven hills. And I don't know, but I think, and I just felt a witness of the Holy Ghost come by me at this moment, but I think Antichrist is trying to do something to get a foothold in that city and in that place. I'm watching it. I'm keeping my eye on it. I'm praying about it. But there is a reason that a lot of the prophetic community has been stirred at the death of this queen. But understand this, as great as London is, however many airplanes come in and out of it through that city, all of the food that they have. Oh, some fish and chips. Doesn't that sound good? Mm, let me tell you. All of the fashion that comes out of that city, all of the great tea that comes out of that city, all of the perfectly white straight teeth that comes out of that city. i got to quit having so much fun. But you got to when you're talking about hell and antichrist, my Lord. All of it, what is in this room is greater than what they have in London. Come on. What they have in the eastern powers and the western powers, what we have here inside of our hearts, inside of our souls, is greater than what they have here. John tells us two specific things. He said, test the spirits. Don't believe in the false prophets. He says, if you will do these things, you will know the truth. You will be able to decipher false prophets, false spirits, the spirit of error, if you will love this truth. I was preaching for a friend of mine this past Sunday, and he told me a story. He said, we had a man that started coming to our church, and he said he was nice. He said, his, in my own words, his elevator didn't go all the way to the top, but nice enough guy. He said, we baptized him. He never had the Holy Ghost, but he said he loved to worship. He said, I would watch him. He would start at the beginning of worship service all the way down the altar and would just hop up and down the altar and then back and forth the entire worship service. And he said, in the beginning, I loved it. I loved the enthusiasm, but he said, I got to looking around and we used to have a church that all worship, but most of the worship service it was hard to put your attention up on God. Instead, all of the attention was upon this guy hopping back and forth around the altar. Now, I'm Pentecostal through and through. I like aisle running. I like a little holy rolling. I like getting down and cutting a rug for the Lord. You with me? All right. Praise the Lord. Maybe we can do a little bit of that later on tonight. But when worship becomes not about lifting up God, but everybody look at me. That becomes a little anti-Christ. And this pastor went up to this guy one day and he thought, I'm going to test his spirit. He's been here about three months. He came up and shook his hand and he said, praise the Lord. And the man said, hello. And he said to him, God is so good. And he said, it's nice weather out here today, isn't it? The pastor started seeing some red flags and he said, we're here to worship Jesus, aren't we, today? And the man said, oh, I was born to shine. And that pastor tested that spirit. 
and through proper discernment and judgment told that man, you can worship today, but no longer hopping around like a bunny around the front. You're going to stay in your seat. And the man got offended. And as he was walking out, he said, I'm going to go find another place for somebody to worship me. It looked like worship. But you know what that was all about? The demon inside of that man. Yes, a true demon. While everybody is giving praise upward from the audience, that man is up there trying to soak it all up and to have it for himself. This happens in churches. It's very elusive. It's almost like an illusion. It can happen with a preacher. It can happen with a singer. It can happen with somebody in the altar. It could happen with an usher. It could happen to somebody serving dinner on Thursday night. It can happen anywhere when what you do is not for the glory of God, but for the glory of yourself. Everybody look at me. Everybody watch me. Everybody look at me, me, me. It was one of the first things that Jesus called out. He called them hypocrites. The Greek, actors. And he said, you will be able to identify them by a few traits. He said, they love to dress to be seen. They love to look loud in their dress and their hair and how they talk and how they act. He said, you'll know them because they love big greetings in the marketplace. And he said, also, they love to be called rabbi, meaning they love those big titles. Oh, yeah. They dress really loud. They position themselves to be seen. And they love those big titles. You know what that sounds a lot like to me? That big old antichrist that's going to come out of the sea. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be like God. He wants to take the praise of men that belongs to God and have it upon himself. That's why whenever you come into the church of the living God, make sure it's about Jesus. Make sure it's about the real living God. Because Antichrist is trying to deceive many in this world here today. So if we sit you down and tell you to calm down your worship, now you know why, praise the Lord. (laughs) Nobody in here tonight is like that. We used to have a guy like that a few years ago, but he's gone now. But anyway, (laughs) praise the Lord. Don't try to figure out who it is. Don't, 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 don't. Keep your mind on Jesus. That's how you test the spirit. You start bringing up truth to it and see what it says. You may have to do it to me someday. I may have to do it to you someday. You may have to do it to another brother or sister. Because after all, wolves can come into the church and tares can grow up. We can't always control what happens in the world, but we can control what happens in this room. And that is why we won't let the spirit of error ever take over. We won't let a false prophet take over. And that's why we're going to test the spirits in these last days. Praise the Lord. Mm. Musicians, please come. I know of people who have had major setbacks in their life because of false prophets. Back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, it wasn't uncommon for a false prophet to come through the town and see a woman that he liked and convince her to leave her husband to marry him because he looked powerful and acted powerful. But my Bible says in the very beginning, what God has joined together, let no man bring it asunder. Mm. Test those people with the truth. Test those people with the word of God. Several years ago, 
over 10 years ago, I was staying at a kind of a get-together for a bunch of preachers, and there was many different kinds of ministers there, some who believed just like us, some who did not. And there was a man there who I met who used to be like us. And uh, I was sitting there talking to him, having snacks. Everybody left the room, and it was just he and I there. And uh, we got to talking, and he pastored a very large church, successful church, and I began to ask him about what you do, and what about this, and what about that? And he said, well, I used to be a lot like you, a lot like your church, but uh, I, I just got the feeling that all we were doing was making folks feel real bad. And I didn't want folks in my church to feel real bad. I wanted them to feel good, so I preached to make them feel good. And since I made folks started feeling really good, I got a big church. And I'm sitting there listening to this and actually thinking, you know, it sounds good. A lot of familiar language there. I like the feel good. And maybe, maybe we've been wrong all along, and maybe this guy has the answers. I went to bed that night, but woke up a few hours later violently sick. Violently sick, horribly sick. Was sick for about three or four days. And after I'd gotten better, some time passed by, and the Lord revealed to me, I put inside of you in your body how I felt about that man's doctrine. God said, that man was very lukewarm. He's neither hot, he's neither cold, and I spit that stuff out of my mouth. And that's what happened to you. And I realized, yes, church, you should feel edified. You should feel uplifted, but never for one minute should you feel like, I am so good. Oh, I've got it so good. You look at the rich man. He said, my soul is good. I've got everything. And God looked down and said, your soul is going to be required of you. And what did Jesus said? There is nobody good but God. The reason why we feel good is not because we preach you to feel good, but because we worship a good God. And we feel his goodness. And a part of how you feel his goodness is through humility and repentance. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand. Greater is in us than he who is in that world. I've been hearing it a lot, church. We've got to have discernment. We've got to have discernment. We've got to have discernment. Not only does every leader in our church need it, but every father needs it. Every mother needs it. Every husband, every wife needs it. Because let me tell you, the devil will try to get in through the back door. He didn't come out strong to Eve. Oh, no, just a little serpent in a tree, just asking her questions. And that is what the spirit of Antichrist is doing in governments. He's doing it in religious organizations. He's doing it in military. He's doing it in economic powers. He's trying to do all of it to set the stage for one man who'll say, Yes, beast, I will become you. Yes, spirit of Antichrist, I will do what you say. And we can't control that, but we can control our lives. And we can control our family. And we can control the church. I just feel to remind somebody who feels really small lately in your walk with God. You feel like everything around you is bigger and greater. And everything else in this word is excelling you. Everything in this world is going beyond you. I've just come to remind you tonight that everything in this world will be brought down. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is inside of every spirit-filled believer's heart is going to arise. The eternal great power is within you. The kingdom of heaven that has no end is within you. God Almighty himself is in you. 
And this altar call is open for anybody, amen, who wants to feel the greatness of our God inside of your heart to swell up, to be magnified, because we're going to need it in these last days. I want to invite you to come and let's pray to this great God who is in this room, who is inside of our souls. Hallelujah. Amen. If you really need, amen, direction from God and how to test the spirit, the Lord can give you insight into that today. Amen. If you're needing, amen, deliverance from the spirit of error in your life or your family, that deliverance is here today. Amen. If you will come forward and say, I call upon you, God, for truth. I call upon you, God, for truth and light. I call upon you, Lord. I curse the spirit of Antichrist out of my mind, out of my heart. Amen. Amen. Some of you, you're going to begin to see insight into the word of God that you've never seen before. Hallelujah. The spirit of God, amen, wants to do new things inside of you. Some of you, it's been a while since you've talked in tongues or had a new tongue. Amen. It can come upon you tonight. Some of you, it's been a while since God's spoken to you. You can go to bed tonight and have a dream from God tonight. Hallelujah. You haven't heard the voice of God in a while. Amen. Tonight is your night. Tomorrow is your day. This week is your week. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't let this devil, don't let the spirit of Antichrist bring you down. Oh, no. Amen. But we will be alive in God. And we're going to love people. And we're going to make disciples. And we're going to be the church of the living God in these last days. But the spirit of error will never take us down. Hallelujah. There's somebody, amen. You've got a Muslim neighbor. The Lord is opening a door, amen, for you to reach out to them. There's some of you, you've got family, you've got friends that live an alternative lifestyle. We're not called to hate them, we're called to love them. We're called to be at peace with them, amen. Amen, the Lord's gonna use you, amen, to show revelation and light to them, hallelujah. They're gonna come from all over to the house of God. They're gonna come from all over, amen, to the baptism tank. They're gonna come from all over and be filled with the gift of the Spirit, amen. Because people are opening their eyes and they're waking up and realizing that yes, this Bible prophecy stuff is true. Hallelujah. Call out to the Lord for it right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, it's worship, word, and prayer meeting tonight. Somebody get a hold of God. Hallelujah. Somebody shake the kingdom of darkness right now with the kingdom of light in Jesus' name.
more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details. Thank you.